Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me, on the mic, hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Emily Rule. Emily was 13 when she was scouted while attending the shows at New York Fashion Week. Shortly thereafter, the Dallas native signed her first modeling contract in Tokyo. She later returned to New York City to sign with top modeling agency, Maryland Management. She has appeared in Teen Vogue, Marie Claire, WWD, Seventeen Magazine, Nylon, Oyster Magazine, Elle Canada, and Flair Canada, amongst many others. She has also been the face of many cosmetic companies, including Smashbox, Too Faced, KKW Beauty, Kim Kardashian West Beauty, and MAC. Emily then jumped into the world of show business where she starred opposite Nicholas Holt in Drake Doremus's feature film, Newness, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. She also made a cameo appearance in Troyan Belisario's short film, Life on Mars. She then created two short films of her own. Blue Moon is her producing, directorial, and writing debut. The film premiered in October of 2021 at New Fest in New York City, and the short has won lots of awards, over 24 in categories such as Best Romantic Short, Best LGBTQ Film, Best Woman Filmmaker, Best Cinematography, Best Short Film, Best Director, and Best New Director. Additionally, she co-wrote and produced the theme song to Blue Moon titled Her. She is currently in production for her first TV series, 13th Stepping. Emily wrote, directed, and stars in the project and the series is being developed through her production company, Public School Pictures. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Emily Rule. Hey, Emily. Hi. Hello. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. It's so interesting hearing that read back to me because I'm not going to lie. I definitely edited that. Like somebody wrote it and then I definitely edited it. So it's kind of crazy to hear it, have your life like played back to you. But um, thank you so much for the intro. Oh my gosh, of course. It's just bizarre. It's so crazy because it doesn't feel like there are a lot of days where I feel like I'm not like, I think I'm always pretty hard on myself. I think it's a balance, but I think there's a part of me that acts like a, like a, like a coach in a lot of ways. And I think there are days when I feel like I haven't done anything. And so I feel like it's cool to hear things read back to you. You're like, Oh, actually I'm, I'm okay. I can breathe. I agree. And that's also like the point of the show. Like we have people that are like, oh my God, I haven't thought about like college graduation in forever. Like what did I do? And I think it's so good to like hear it back, reflect. Cause like in our day-to-day life, we get so busy. You're like, okay, what's the next thing? Like right now you're like in production mode or you're in writing mode and you're not like, wait, look how far I've come. Like I was scouted at 13 and like, I have done a bunch of cool shit along the way. And like, I feel like this is a a fun part of what I get to do is like get people to kind of remember that stuff. I think it's super cool. Thanks. It's wild. And I think there definitely are days where you feel like you're doing everything and then nothing gets done. Do you know those moments? And so, 
yeah, I guess it, it's important to reflect back on how far you've come and just realize like how far you have to go, which is the journey, right? And, and that's what we're in it for. Exactly. And that's what we'll get into. So before we dive into all of the meat of your 20s, I do like to start every show with a fun question. Something new that you learned in this past week. It could be like a fun fact or something that really made you think. It could be a book you read, but something new from this past week that you are open to sharing with everyone. Yeah. Hold on. I want to check my phone because I read this article and I sent it to my head of development. His name is Zach Parker. He's amazing. And I was like, this is a documentary waiting to happen. And it's about a place in the country. Shout out Zach Parker. We can give him a quick shout out. Shout out Zach Parker. Hi, Zach. He's at Pack Zarker. Is Zach Parker's uh, Insta very clever, Zach? It's about an area in Louisiana called Cancer Alley, where the air is so toxic it's giving everybody cancer because industrial plants are releasing increased concentrations of cancer-causing chemicals in predominantly Black and poor communities. I was like, I had no idea about this. This seems to be a documentary. People should know about this. So that was what I learned two days ago. And I want to make a documentary about it. Wow. And is that a documentary? So it hasn't come out yet. No, but I want to make one about it. No, it's not a documentary. It was just a news article. And I read it and I was like, somebody, we should actually do a documentary on this. Like, this is something that people should know about. Because I had no idea. So Cancer Alley. Cancer Alley. Do you guys, what's the percentage of, and we'll get into all the public school picture stuff, but what's the percentage of like fiction, nonfiction, or doc versus scripted like that you guys do? at public school pictures? I mean, everything at PSP, uh, everything this thus far has been scripted. So we have Blue Moon, which we're adapting into a feature, 13 Seven, which we're adapting into a series. I just executive produced a short film called The Pink, written and directed by Ingrid Haas, which is super cool, which is kind of like Goop meets The Twilight Zone meets Black Mirror. And then we're producing a project called Snake Oil Song, which takes place entirely in the Columbia rainforest and really explores the gray in humanity. And then I'm, I just wrote another short that'll be completely silent and explores domestic violence. So there's all of that. But we've been in talks with several different other producers who are in the process of putting together a team for various documentaries. So it definitely is on the horizon and is something that we're talking about. And during this process, I've learned a little bit more about how those things are made. So it's a bit less scary to be like, oh, I have this idea. Okay, let's find a director. And I literally texted that to Zach. And he's like, we, we need to make this. Like, who do you know you think would be a good fit for this? But I, I want this slate to be incredibly diversified. And I want people to turn on a public school pictures production and see somebody that loves like they do or lives like they do. It should be relatable across all boards. And I don't really care what it is as long as it's good and it moves you in some way. Thus far, it's been a lot of female driven stories, personally, because that's my perspective. But I definitely want to represent everybody. Docs are my favorite genre. So I'm excited to do them. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, I was going to say I didn't, I feel like I didn't see any docs, but I love that that's something that you're interested in. In my past life, I actually did documentaries, like film documentaries and it's also like a guilty pleasure. Do you have like a favorite doc that stands out as like, oh my gosh, I wish I could say PSP made that or I love watching it because I feel like I learned so much. Is there one that you that really stands out for you? I mean, the, the jinx is pretty spectacular. If nobody's seen that, it's on HBO. I do love a little bit of true crime for sure. There was another one, I mean, Making a Murderer, right? And I feel like Netflix really has the doc game spent and... 
I also watched, um, I believe it's on Netflix, but a documentary about Dolly Parton, which I really enjoyed. And I didn't know she was such a prolific songwriter and a feminist. And that was really mind blowing. Yeah, I kind of love them all. I love things about individual people or even the ones that are about people that you aren't famous, right? That you don't know anything about. And there's something about them that's relatable or intriguing. Yeah, I love Last Chance You on Netflix, the first couple of seasons of Last Chance You like football documentaries. I find that was really inspiring. I think I can get behind any piece of humanity in any kind of way, right? Because that is a thing that bonds us all. There's a doc I just watched on Amazon called The Family I Had, which is true crime and a little intense, but really well made and really explores the dynamics of family and love, which I think are entirely universal as well. But yeah, that's that's my favorite. That's my favorite genre, I'd have to say. I love the list. You gave a nice variety. Thanks. I also love reality TV, which is like what I watch when I just want to not be analyzing the cinematography. Do you know what I mean? I just want to watch The Housewives and just like melt. So yeah, open to everything. She's a girl that can do it all. I will say I'm not someone that can do the true crime thing. Like as I'm hearing you talk about like making a murderer and like just, it's a no for me, but I, you know, for the people, it's a no for me, me. but but for the people that are listening, I'm sure they'll love it. I like more for me, it's like the impactful documentaries. So like the Seaspiracy or like the Blackfish, you know, which are, you know, Blackfish is obviously the orcas and the whales being captured and kept in captivity. Seaspiracy is like the, you know, plastics in the ocean and human rights issues on these boats. Like Found is a good one about the- Found is a great one. Adoptions in China. Yeah. It sounds like this Cancer Alley that you're talking about has this like really, really strong impact through line. Like obviously it moves humanity, which you said, but also like brings awareness to these like horrible things that are happening. How do you think about, we'll get into more of your 20s, but I'm curious, like what are your thoughts on like the impact piece of the documentaries that you are thinking about putting together? Is that something that you think a lot about or is it more just like the story and the humanity and and moving you? Well, I feel like the story and the humanity does kind of directly correlate to the impact, right? I mean, even, you know, making a TV show that is taking place in AA or a blue moon, which focuses on a queer love story, right? So I feel like every project in some way I want it to have an impact. I like being able to also make an impact on the environment as well, right? Because it's where we live and it's so incredibly important and there's so much about it that we don't, aren't fully aware of. And there's this kind of compartmentalization effect that's happening, you know, like California's in this massive drought. I didn't know that. Actually, that's a new thing I learned this week. I didn't know California was in a drought. Like I had no clue. I mean, I think for me, when you were talking about the documentaries that you really enjoyed. I saw Food Inc. when I was 10 and I became a vegetarian for three years. So I think things like that can really move the needle. And I think the more people know about something, that's the fastest way to get something to change, right? And I think putting a spotlight on something in the dark is really important and definitely a responsibility that I feel. And I want to showcase things that people wouldn't necessarily be exposed to. I love it. And I think entertainment is one of the very, very few avenues that reaches everyone. So I work in startups and business and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but like a lot of the times, like these startups don't really reach everyone or like, it's not always as accessible. Entertainment, everyone's got a Netflix, like everyone's got TikTok. And so I think when we talk about like, what does impact look like? A lot of the times it is like, what's the avenue where you can reach the most people? And I think entertainment is that. So anyway, it's something I'm personally passionate about. So I just wanted to pick your brain for a second. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. So before we talk about your 20s, I'd love to just know a little bit more about childhood. 
obviously you got scattered when you were 13, which is crazy young, or maybe that is normal. You know best. What did you want to be when you were younger? And like, did you always want to be in the entertainment industry, doing modeling, doing acting, doing producing? What was that thought when you were younger? And then talk to me about this 13-year-old you getting scouted. From the moment I could conceptualize like where I was, I knew I wanted to leave and get out of Texas and do something different. I'm also an eighth generation Texan. So no one is, I was the first one to leave which I recently found out. I knew that like a lot of, that we went pretty far back, but I didn't realize it was that far. I really felt like choir and photography class and elementary school, like that's where I really felt a sense of purpose or inspiration. It wasn't easy for me to relate to kids my own age. My mom has a business and I grew up within that business. So I was always spoken to like I was an adult. So for me, it was hard to just relate to any of my peers. And also, you know, a lot of my peers didn't want to leave and we just had different aspirations. And so I never quite felt like I fit in, nor was I ever told I was pretty. I was always kind of made fun of. I was a little bit of a chubbier kid. I had braces, glasses, and like two fractured elbows at one point in time in fifth grade. I had a scribe. It was really pitiful. And then I switched schools in sixth grade. And we moved into Dallas proper because I lived in the suburbs and still didn't really feel like I fit in, but went through puberty and had a bit of a a glow up, so to speak. And I found musical theater in seventh grade. And at that point in my life, I really wanted to be on Broadway. That was the goal. I went to Stage Door, which is a musical theater summer camp in the Catskills. Natalie Portman went there, Robert Downey Jr. It's a very kind of like Camp Rock, if anybody knows that reference. It's like Camp Rock. And that was the goal. However, I always had background roles. I actually, I made my debut as a zebra in Susical the Musical, but I knew that that feeling that I felt on stage in that team sport of a production and that this unity and this flow state was something that I just felt so intoxicated by and was obsessed with. And that was my life. And then when I was 13, this was in eighth grade, I believe, I went to New York Fashion Week for my birthday and I had recently literally a week prior, got my braces taken off. And at Fashion Week, met my former mother agent. Her name is Chantal Nadeau. And she is the best of the best in Canada. And met her, went back home, came back a couple weeks later, did my first photo shoot, won her model search. And within a month or two months, I was signed in, in Japan and left. And that was the beginning of the rest of my life. And what was interesting is that Within a couple of months before Fashion Week, I had gone to an agency in Dallas and they'd actually told me no. So I was rather crushed. And what's funny is later down the line in my life, they kind of came back and like, no, we'd love to work with you. And it was a very full circle moment. But I think at 13 for me, I knew that this was my opportunity to leave the environment that I had grown up in. I didn't realize it was going to be kind of the first chapter in the rest of my life, but it was. And I never really looked back. I went back to school my freshman year of high school for a couple of months to try it out and see if I wanted to do the normal thing. And nobody thought I was cool. I didn't get asked to homecoming. It's hard to go from doing schoolwork three hours a day to then being stuck in a classroom for eight. You can't really go backwards in freedom. And I decided to get myself back to New York and I lived there about 14 to 18. And then 18 came to LA, supposed to be six weeks, it's been eight years. Modeling led to the acting. I was in Drake Doremus's feature film called Newness, which is on Netflix. That was my second audition, which 
gave me a lot of false expectations about how this was going to go. Thought it was going to be much easier than it, it turned out to be. And did a couple shorts, got really close to some things that would have changed my life. And then COVID happened. And I just got into a place where I was tired of waiting for somebody to pick me because that had been so many years of my life and decided to write my own thing. I didn't really know I could write. I knew I was good at writing in English class, but that had been years ago. I just knew that like I needed to do something and my body was going to be aching for a purpose. And I had this idea of a love story in a single night, had my own experiences with somebody that I call Mr. Blue Moon that inspired a series of events that Blue Moon kind of encapsulates. And then one of my best friends just started dating women and felt underrepresented. So I wanted to include her story. Thus kind of Blue Moon was born. And I wrote that in 10 days in my pajamas. Pre-production was two weeks. Production was like three days. Post was two weeks. I mean, we really churned that puppy out because I didn't really know any better. I'll never do it that quickly again. And we've been to over 65 festivals and counting. And now it's going to be developed into a feature and has kind of led me down this path of of production and finding the thing I feel like I'm meant to be doing and I find so fulfilling and given me a voice that I didn't know I had. So one thing's kind of led to another, but I do feel like I needed every step along the way in order to be here in this moment. And even the bad stuff, I mean, 13 stepping is loosely based on who I was as a teenager in New York and my wish with substances. And there was a lot of dark times wrapped up into that. And I've been able to take a lot of trauma and make something beautiful, which is, I feel like, what art really is in its truest definition. I feel like I went on like a little journey and a tangent, but that's how we got from like 13 to I'm 26. Amazing. Well, thank you for walking through all that and giving such a good overview. And I'm excited to just like dive into different parts of that because you've obviously had such a formative journey and it started so much younger than a lot of people's freedom journey does, like you had said. So you're 13. Let's go back to 13. You are loving musical theater. And someone says, hey, have you thought about being a model? What happens to the musical theater dream? Is it like modeling is the next extension of that? It's just going to get me one step closer. Is it like I've just been background roles, so it's fine. I'll do this thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But what's the thought process there? And then also thought process with like leaving hometown with family. That's it's very hard. I know there's some, I know one actress in particular was like, I'm moving to LA when she was 16. And the parents were like, what are you talking about? She's like, I'll go on my own. I'm moving. So talk me through a little bit like that time and your like rationale and how family reacted. Yeah. I feel like at 13 was when I had a little bit of a metamorphosis. And again, like I used to get asked out as practical jokes in elementary school. I mean, it was, it was tough out there. And so the moment that my external appearance was giving me validation, it was a little intoxicating, I think. And I knew fashion magazines in particular. I mean, in my room in my mom's house, there's stacks upon stacks of Vogue's. I mean, as high as you can see. And that was that and film were my two escapes from the environment in which I grew up in. Because again, I didn't feel like I fit in and I didn't really feel inspired by the world around me. So I, I went elsewhere. And I knew that I really loved design and I knew that I really loved models in general. Like I remember buying the Teen Vogue handbook at like a Borders or a Barnes and Noble in Dallas. And there was this model, she's still modeling. Her name is Allie Michaels and she's from Dallas and she was in Teen Vogue. I remember seeing that and being like, oh, I want to do that. I ended up being in Teen Vogue two years later, which was really one of the like landmark moments of my life. But I think the modeling kind of 
to me, I was always shocked. And I think there was some part of me still to this day that always felt like, oh, I, because of the childhood trauma, like always felt like, oh, I'm not meant to be here. Like I'm not one of them, which is something that I, I think I'm, I'm working through now that I'm older, but I definitely felt that growing up and felt like a little bit of like imposter syndrome. But I was doing musical theater. I think home life was very chaotic. And I think that everybody understood that like this was going to save me in a lot of ways and that I needed to do this. I jumped at the chance to leave. My parents trusted me and I was a rather independent kid already and a good kid up until this point. I'd never really done anything wrong. So they really let me fly. I mean, my mom came with me for bits of the of the Tokyo trip, but New York was really all by myself. And at times I would have either interns from the agencies or like, like kind of babysit you or like go with you to things. But I was always really relatively independent. I'm sure. I remember when I was like 15, my mom crying when she left me like my first apartment or something in New York. But I think everybody understood that this was going to be good for me and that this is what I needed. And to hold me back would really be, it just would really be a detriment to my development. And it is crazy to think, I mean, at 13, I didn't feel like I was 13. I was definitely 13 going on 30 and I look back at Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'd let my 13 year old do it. And not necessarily because I didn't, I wouldn't trust my 13 year old, but just because there's a lot of developmental things you don't really learn. And I think 18 is a much better starting point because then you have a sense of self. You have a sense of like standing up for yourself and right versus wrong. And you've already somewhat created a sense of self versus my sense of self being kind of imposed on me and not having any privacy during those years. I was photographed all of the time. So even when I was going through puberty, right, and I got dropped for going because I was going through puberty and putting on a little bit of weight. And so I think that, and now thinking about if I had a child, I think like 18 is a good, is a good marker. 13 is young. 16 is probably the median age, but it is a very early start in a career path. But I also think the musical theater thing just took a shelf. And I didn't realize like, because I was so young and it happened so quickly, like it wasn't really until until I turned 20 that I realized what had even happened. I mean, it was kind of a blur of a seven years. And I'm not thinking about the future at 14. I mean, I really thought I wanted to be the next Heidi Klum and I was going to do modeling forever and start a beauty company and and that was going to be it. And it wasn't until I started getting older that I realized the effects it was taking on my mental health and that I really didn't feel like I had a voice and it really wasn't fulfilling in the ways that it had been when I was so young. And the shine had worn off a little bit. Again, if L'Oreal calls tomorrow, I will pick up the phone. But like the day-to-day is a little rough. So musical theater took a back seat. And then it wasn't until I was 20 and started acting that that part of me was sparked again. Yeah, I could imagine it was a whirlwind. And when you're that young, you don't know what you're saying yes to. You don't think about the future that far ahead. Totally, yeah. And I can only imagine being that age and being left alone to live in a city. I mean, I seriously, I thought I was independent and I like made my own breakfast and like hung my towel up and made my bed, you know, like that's not independence. Independence is your own apartment in New York City. So you you hinted a little bit at like things kind of started to take a toll on your mental health towards the end of those seven years. You did mention like some body issues and substances. What happened at the end of that time that made you decide I'm not doing this anymore. Was it a certain moment? Was it just like a gradual degradation of yourself? What happened then that made you decide like this modeling isn't working anymore? Well, I think 
I got dropped. So it wasn't entirely a choice, <laughs> although it was a great thing that happened. But I, I was actually at Sundance and I was having all of these dreams professionally come true, whether it was my name and lights, whether it was now I had a publicist and I was doing the red carpet and I had it. And it was like all of these things finally culminating. And I was still so miserable. And I just had this realization. I remember so vividly in the seat in the auditorium of realizing that these professional achievements, which my entire adolescence had been based on, right? Like that was my entire self-worth, were not going to make me happy. I wasn't already happy. It was this huge, like, mind-blowing experience. Uh, and I also realized I couldn't remember a night that I didn't go to bed drunk. I was coming off of like a really intense childhood that I hadn't processed, just to, like a whole adolescence of things. And I and I never really stopped to feel. And I because I'd grown up basically on my own, I didn't have a lot of tools about how to feel. And I was treated like an adult, but really wasn't at the developmental stage of an adult. So I had a little bit of arrested development in some aspects. And so I had this huge existential crisis at Sundance and realized I needed to get myself together and start learning how to feel and really start working on every piece of the pie of my life. I'd gotten dropped like two days before that. And I had this insane identity crisis because that was all I'd ever known about myself. I'm still repped in, in Dallas in Canada, but like I, my LA agent dropped me and I, like, I was terrified. Because as much as I was realizing that I was really unhappy, I hadn't quite pinpointed that that's what that was. And then I, I didn't know who I was without it. And here I was going from a career that I had done really well at very easily to something that is much, much harder. And I'm much more of a small fish in a large pond. And so it was petrifying. And there's also at a time where I, I had said to my my mom that I wasn't going to go to business school and I wasn't going to have this normal trajectory and like this is what I was going to be doing. So it was just, there was a lot at stake and it was a huge moment of shift for me. And I mean, in 13 Stepping, there's a moment in a bathtub, which I had my like mental breakdown in a bathtub. So, it, but all of those moments and all of those dark times, I've now been in, like I said, incorporating into various pieces of art. So I'm, I'm really grateful for all of them in the way that they happen. And I'm really glad that I had my breakdown at like 20 and I've gotten myself together. And it was interesting. I was telling my boyfriend yesterday that like the amount of stress I now deal with on a daily basis, especially running my own company and hiring and firing and, and putting out fires every day. Like I didn't know I was capable of this, let alone capable of this sober. I mean, I had no clue. And it's, it's so amazing to see like my threshold uh, inching upwards and upwards. And then I think as a woman who's been marketed to my entire life, there's a baseline of self-scrutiny when it comes to my body that I think, I don't know a woman who doesn't have it. If there's one, I would love to meet her. She probably lives in the woods. Like, I don't know, you know, a woman with Wi-Fi who doesn't, isn't constantly inundated with imagery that's edited or unrealistic. So there's a baseline, right? And then there's like, okay, well, there's a standard of beauty that I was sold that I needed to be when I was 13. And I no longer can achieve that because I'm not taking Adderall, <laughs> you know? So it's like, okay, now I've got to reshape what I think is beautiful and what I think is healthy. And that takes some therapy. That takes some like inner monologue reworking. That takes like a lot of self-love. I think that growing up, I always used, you know, as a kid, I was always given sugar or candy or like that's how I emotionally regulated. And so now as an adult, like just reworking those neural pathways and having 
a healthy relationship with myself and with food. Um, and it's always kind of complicated and, and nuanced, but now I think that I'm healthier than I've ever been, which is also ironic considering how much stress I'm under consistently. But I've also realized that nothing is really worth my health. That was a big realization during the, the age of metamorphosis in my 20s. And that in order to do as much as I do in a day, I have to really give my body nourishment or else I can't function. I'll get tired. I won't feel well. I'm someone who definitely gets hangry. So there's all of that. And then I think it also comes with, you know, I found a tribe of people that I really love that accept me regardless of what I look like. And my self-worth now isn't just in the pot of being a model. It's like, oh, I can do all these other things. I can write, I can direct. I really never have to be in front of a camera again unless I want to. And Blue Moon specifically, I made mean, because I didn't want to be in front of a camera. I was so over it. I was so done. I just wanted to do something with other people. And then, of course, I got the edge where I was like, wait, I want to do something now, too. I want to act. And I want to justify to my agents why I'm not auditioning. So I'm going to make my own TV show. But it is this balance. And like, I still, I'm, I'm going to Fashion Week in September, which is so also full circle because it's where I was scouted. And now I get to go and go to these shows. And I'm in a much different avenue. But like, I still have anxiety about, I call them like Barbie things, like Barbie events where I need to be the Barbie doll and get dressed up in the hair and makeup. And sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it gets overwhelming. I still am very much a perfectionist, but it's nice now that I, I have a little bit more control over all of that. And I can do things professionally that I can still succeed at whether or not I ever want to do another red carpet, you know? And maybe when I'm like 40, I'll move to Topanga and you'll never see me again, but, and just like make art. But I, it's an interesting balance and dynamic. And I think that, you know, I, it was a certain point where I stopped reading fashion magazines because they were really harmful. I felt like, I feel like fashion magazines are kind of the first version of Instagram in a way. And when I realized that these magazines were negatively affecting me and granted, I think things are a lot better now, but before, before anybody realized how much things were photoshopped, I had this realization that I was the girl in a lot of those magazines. And if I, like, I didn't want to make people feel like this. You know, and I think that was also a big catalyst in the career shift. But yeah, I think every day's a every day's a journey. It's great to hear about your identity shift as well. I think that that part's really interesting. It reminds me a lot. I, as you're talking, I was thinking about like high school and college athletes. Like that's kind of a similar timeline where like you kind of get good at a sport when you're 13 and then you graduate and you go to college for the sport and then you graduate at 2021 20, and you're like, who am I now? Like, this is all I've known. This is my community. This is what I've been getting validation for, that I am strong and athletic. For you, it was like, you know, externally, I'm beautiful. And I think it's actually, as you're talking, I'm like, it's actually very similar, I think, with athletes, student athletes, and having to like restructure. Yeah, that's so interesting. I never thought about that. You're so right. Or if they get an injury, you know, and, and everything changes. Yeah, that's so that's so fascinating. You don't have a normal trajectory. Like I didn't go to regular high school. I went for two months and then I did everything online. My first boyfriend I met on a plane. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't have my first kiss was on set. I didn't have a lot of these normal milestones. And it's interesting now realizing the ways in which I do have a little bit of like child star syndrome as far as being treated as an adult from such a young age and then just like I don't have I mean, maybe now I have more hobbies, but like I didn't have hobbies. Like life was about my job and then I would work and now my hobbies still include things that somehow relate to my work. Like it's very difficult for me to do something that doesn't in some way relate to a goal of mine. 
it's actually like a form of self-care when I want to take the scenic route versus taking the, the, the fastest route. Because at this moment in my life, everything is about efficiency. And so there are moments where I do just take the scenic route and, and that's a moment of self-care. I think it's really interesting to also hear you talk about how you didn't realize you could do all these things and you feel yourself moving higher and like taking care of your body, like being more sober and eating well and listening to yourself. And that's such a cool evolution that we all experience in our 20s. But I feel like you get to experience it even younger because everything was kind of on fast track. At what time? So after it, basically you had this, you got let go when you were in your you were 20. You had this like identity crisis in the bathtub, which you talk about. And then at some point you realize, <laughs> yeah, at some point you realize like, I want to act and I want to stay in this business, but I don't want to do the modeling thing. And what happened then? And what was like that first step after you had that crisis? Like that, like, oh my gosh, what's next? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of overlap. So I met my manager while I was still modeling less than six months prior to Sundance because he is who got me the Drake Doremus audition. And after the Drake Doremus audition, and when I had booked it, as soon as I booked it, I also got an agent from that. So there was a little bit of overlap. But once the existential crisis happened and once I was dropped, I realized that if I was going to do this other career path and it's all that I had, that I was going to give it everything that I had. Because... I'm a pretty hard worker. And again, my job was very much my identity at the time, for better or for worse. So I was going to go, you know, balls to the wall. And uh, unfortunately, in acting, you don't have a lot of control and give your best performance. But I had no idea really what I was doing. Now I think I have some grip, but it's, it's intense and it's a lot of no's. And it was more no's than I was used to getting. And it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of work. Auditioning is very different than actually acting. You get attached to things. And the second, third, fourth, fifth round of things and not getting them is very much a heartbreak because so many of these things that I got close to would have completely changed my life. But now I think about it and I'm like, I'm actually glad I didn't get that show or I'm actually glad that didn't happen because then I wouldn't be here in this very moment. And I don't know if I would have wanted to be stuck on set for four years or whatever with this one thing. Is there anyone that you can share that you were like, oh, I was close or like, I almost did it that that you feel like you look back on? Yeah, there was one, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is one of my favorite auditions I ever did. And I got through several rounds of that. And they ended up casting Kieran and Shipka, who I think was amazing and did a great job. And I'm a fan of hers. But that was something that the Sabrina, the original Sabrina was so meaningful to me and a huge part of my childhood that to be a part of that franchise in general would have been amazing. And it was CW and Greg Berlanti and it would have just been life-changing. And... I felt like, you know, you find some roles where that character is a part of you. And that was one of them. And uh, I actually smoked my last cigarette after I found out I didn't get that job. I had like quit for two months and then I was outside of a Whole Foods and I got the call that like, you know, I, I didn't get it. And it was very close and I had my last cigarette and wanted to throw up because after you stop smoking, like, and you go back, it's not the same. But that was my last cigarette. I remember that so vividly uh, was after I didn't get that. And that, yeah, I was heartbroken. And then you just have to pick up and keep going and, and separate yourself worth from the job, which is so much easier said than done. And yeah, I mean, that would have been amazing. I used to go to the CW so often that like the security guard knew my name. And I was like, oh God, like we've got to book one of these. Like this is kind of embarrassing. We never did. We never booked one of those. But you got the Drake Doremus thing, which, which was a big break. I did, yeah, which was also kind of life-changing. It was a huge break. It was massive. And being on set 
was again, this intoxicating thing where I was like, I will do whatever it takes to get back here. I want to do this over and over again. I want to live here. I don't care if I'm on four hours of sleep. I don't care if we're shooting nights. Like I want to be here. And this is heaven on earth for me. And this is when time stops. This is when the flow state happens. This is the closest I'll ever feel to God. And I'm not a religious person, but like, this is the thing. This is it. This is it. And we are going to fight like hell to get back to this moment in time. And that it's been like that ever since really. It's so special. And then, so you're going after all these auditions. You obviously get a couple of big breaks, which is amazing. And then COVID hits and you have another crisis of self, like what's my purpose? Am I going to keep getting these no's? And it leads you to start PSP. Tell me about what made you start PSP. Yeah. Well, so COVID happened and I was at the tail end of a relationship that probably would have fizzled out a little bit sooner, but COVID kind of, you latched on because the world was ending. And not a bad person, just not my person. And that relationship was very much like I was, I was the first lady in that relationship. And I realized I didn't want to be the first lady. I wanted to be the president and that that dynamic just wasn't going to work. You know, I, I didn't, I realized I just didn't want to be somebody's person. I wanted to be my person and really needed to find exactly what I was going to do separately. You know, I, I didn't want to be introduced to somebody's missives and sometimes you are, and that's great. And I'm all for holding your partner's handbag, but like, I also wanted my own identity separate from this person. And I felt like if I was going to be with this person, which very much could have been a real long, a long-term possibility, like I would have probably fulfilled pretty standard gender roles. And I realized that I wasn't up for that. And there's no shame in that, of course, but I just realized that wasn't for me. And so that really started this like deep dive into who I was. And then, like I said, I went on a couple of dates with Mr. Blue Moon, who happens to also be in 13 stepping. We've stayed friends. He friends owned me after the third date, which was fine because I got a movie actor and a friend. It was it was the best case scenario. Did Blue Moon while I was making, while I was editing Blue Moon, wrote 13 stepping after I was finishing post in 13 stepping, realized I want to keep doing this. Came up with the name Public School Pictures in the car. Jackie Whittish, who was my first employee, actually slid into my DMs because she saw Blue Moon and wanted to ask me questions about how I made it. So I just took a phone call with her and I loved her energy and her spirit. And so when I needed a PA on 13 Stepping, I reached out to her. She crushed it. And then she started handling post-production for me. And then she started festivals. And then she kind of became the first employee. Now she's head of brand outreach. She still does my production management. She still has my festival stuff. And then I found Zach Parker, who used to run development for AMC and Parks McDonald and is a producer on Jim Cummings' Thunder Road, which is an amazing film that everybody should go check out. And he was in April. And then I found Anna Patino, who is my assistant and now has been promoted. She's my visual production manager, so she handles merch, website, social media, posters, anything kind of design oriented. She also does production management. I found her like four months ago, three, four months ago. And what was so funny is when I met her, I was like, I'll need you like three days a week, maybe. And now she needs an assistant. So it's really grown exponentially. I was actually just interviewing new assistants for me for today before I got on this, on this podcast. because I'm trying to figure out how to just delegate and be able to be as present as possible and still make art and not be caught up with things that I don't necessarily have to be a part of and just have an extra set of hands would be very helpful. And then we have, Zach has two interns that do script coverage for him. We have an accounting department. We have a legal team. 
it's kind of ever growing. It's just become its own thing. It really has in a matter of like, and in, in a matter of a very short amount of time. And so I feel like I'm at my, my like software is c- consistently updating very quickly because I didn't, I mean, my mom has her own company and she's been an amazing resource and inspiration, but like, I didn't know how to structure shit. I had no idea. And, and to be a boss and like how to structure my time and how to be a team leader and, and do all these things. And like this weekend we're going on like a PSP retreat. Well, I call them field trips because I like the like play on school. I also didn't go to school. So I have this like massive fascination with like American high school, but we're going to a little retreat in Joshua tree. We're going to like do a sound bath and watch a movie and bond because I'm really into, you know, company culture. It's happened so exponentially quickly. I'm so excited for what the next five to 10 to 15, 20 years looks like, you know, especially considering how much our slate has blossomed in the last, you know, four months, really five months. I'm also, I mean, so there's a merch division to the company, which basically means I'm also running a clothing line, which is kind of crazy. And I didn't know how to do any of this either. And now I, now I can run this thing frontwards and backwards. And I know the whole line of like production and how things get made. So it's wild. My days, my days are very varied. It's exciting. How do you like the business side? So you did obviously the modeling, which is in front of the camera. You did some of the acting in front of the camera, writing, producing, you got a little bit more behind the camera, but then like business is like behind, behind the camera. It's like back in like the studios, you know, like like in the offices. In the offices. So how are you liking that? That's obviously new. You're stretching yourself, but how do you like it as also compared to the other tasks that you've done in the show business department? I mean, I love it. I was raised in a business, so it's kind of the only thing I know in a lot of ways. I think it's the thing when you're the leader of the team, right? And everybody feeds off of your energy. Even if you're having a bad day, you kind of have to like put a smile on, which sometimes is a really great thing. And I mean, I love it. It comes really naturally again, I think, because I was raised in a company and in that environment. So yeah, that's so good to hear. It's nice. And I think Thanks. I think my brain very much works in both hemispheres. I wouldn't say I'm left or right. It's a nice combination of both. And at the end of the day, we're making art, but it is also a business. And there's lots of things that go along with that, from contracts to W9s to insurance to, you know, SAG paperwork. There's a lot of things that happen. And and I really love all of it. It's interesting. I I know I do all of these different things, but it all feels kind of like the same thing because it's the same goal. But I really couldn't do it without my team. I feel like they're the foundation. It's like they're incredibly significant to me and important and a huge part of the company. And I feel like I get a lot of credit, but I definitely think that they deserve most of it. That's awesome. Well, it's good to have a humble leader, especially when that's just getting started. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) They're going to listen to this and be like, bullshit. No, I'm just kidding. They're like, say it to my face. Yeah, exactly. So we rarely have 20 somethings on the show. But you obviously have such an impressive career already and you've done so much. So I'm going to ask you a question I don't typically ask any guests because I don't get to, but you're a 26-year-old. So you've still got another few years of being a 20-something. What's in the cards? Like, do we have some big milestones that we want to hit? Do we have some things like we just want to keep leveling up personally and professionally? Like, what are the things for the rest of our 20s? Okay. I want to get 13-stepping made as a TV show. That's happening. I wake up every morning and that's the thing that I, I mean, I push everything up the hill, but like, that's why I started the company. That's like, that's me taking my trauma and making something out of it. So that's very significant. Blue Moon, obviously into a feature. I'd like at least one Emmy. I'd love to go to the Met Ball. Forbes, 30 to 30. 
those kind of, those are some of the milestones. I just hope to have a fulfilling career and fulfilling relationships at the end of the day. But, um, yeah, I would love an invite from Ann Wintour. That would just be like, I can just see it. And I've been obsessed with the Met Ball since I was like 10. So I'm right there with you. I'm like not even that yeah. big of a fashion person, but I'm obsessed with the Met Ball. Forbes under 30 also, we should talk after because I have, I'm actually, I know some of the Forbes under 30 people and I can, I can send a note or something. We can talk. Oh yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But I like your list. I like the Emmy as well. Thanks. I think it can happen. Yeah, definitely. I think it definitely can too. And I like trophies. These are all actually from Blue Moon. It was funny. So there's one that's a prop from Blue Moon. When we started getting into festivals, getting a trophy is kind of an add-on, right? If you win, because you have to pay for shipping and whatnot. And I was like, oh, we'll, we'll get one maybe. And I got the first one. I was like, oh, I need more. And so now we have this. And actually on the other side of this wall, I just moved into a larger space. So my office is actually on the other side of this wall and we have this big PSP decal and a desk and I'm thinking about putting all the trophies somewhere on the desk or like configuring them because I think they very much are like our trophies. They're not just mine, even though my name is on them. It's definitely a group effort, but we like shiny things. We do. For those of you that are listening and don't get the luxury of staring, we'll, we'll describe. She's in an office right now with this cool, these cool white shelves. Well, this is my kitchen, technically. This is my kitchen. Oh, this is your kitchen? And these are my, but I don't cook, so I'm able to put trophies on my shelves oh my because I don't cook. That's so funny. These are just some of the trophies. It's fun, and we have a great time. It doesn't really feel. I mean, sometimes it feels like work when shit hits the fan, but I um, I think we all really enjoy each other's company. And oh, we do this thing which I I really love, and we have an accomplishment bell, which is like this big cowbell, basically. Because things don't move as quickly as you'd like them to. Whenever we do make an accomplishment, whether it's a signed contract with somebody, any sort of small thing or large thing, we ring the accomplishment bell and it's a fun moment. It just, it's a fun thing to make you stop in the moment and remember that moment. And that's been like one of my favorite things I've like implemented. And we have a snack basket, but I feel like the accomplishment bell is like what I'm most proud of. I just love how intentional you're being about the culture. I think like that's why Gen Z and young millennials do actually a really great job with like building good teams because it's not transactional. It's like, let's go on a field trip and like, let's have a bell and let's give out Dundies. And I think it's really cool to see how thoughtful you're being about it. I could keep talking to you forever. I could keep bothering you with questions, but I will ask you one final question. This is something we ask all of our guests. And I think it'll be especially meaningful coming from you because you are a 20-something. But if there's one piece of advice that you would give to all 20-somethings, what is that one piece of advice you'd give them? Don't tell yourself you can't do something and watch what happens. Because I feel like with Blue Moon, it was the first time in my life where I didn't tell myself I couldn't do something. And with zero self-doubt, I've been able to really find the thing that makes me feel a part of this world. And I don't know if I'd gone in with self-doubt, I don't know if I would have still found that. Yeah, that's so true. And it obviously worked out. Another one I'm just going to throw out Thank there God. that you shared. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. that you shared earlier yeah. that I thought was really good that I'm just going to reiterate again was like, I didn't want to be the first lady. I wanted to be the president. And I think that's something that like, that's a line that I feel like a lot of people can resonate with. And whether it's they're right now in an assistant gig at a job or they're in a relationship, like you said, where maybe they feel a little bit like, you know, lesser than, or just not an equal. I think like, that's a really, really good line to get someone to be like, are you kidding? I'm not the first lady. I'm the president or I'm not going to be the first lady. I'm going to be the president. And I think that's also, you know, really great piece of advice. 
Thank you. Yeah. Spinning words of wisdom. Well, thank you so much for being here, Emily. This was so much fun getting to chat with you. And I appreciate you being vulnerable with us and just giving us all the insights. It was awesome. Oh, well, thanks for having me. You're great to talk to. I feel like I keep going. I know. We could keep talking forever, but I want to respect your time. So I'll let you go. But thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts. 